When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Train going west. I fell asleep for to take my rest. I dreamed a dream that made me sad concerning myself and the first few friends I had. With half damp eyes, I stared to the room where my friends and I spent many an afternoon, where we together weathered many a storm, laughing and singing till the early hours of the morn. By the old wooden stove where our hats were hung, our words were told, our songs were sung, where we longed for nothing and were quite satisfied, talking and joking about the world outside. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about Bob Dylan's dream from 1963's The Freewheeling Bob Dylan is a fellow Bobcat and fellow podcaster, Noah Tarnow. Hi, Noah. Hi, Rob. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, this is a interesting song to pick because this is this is I don't know this song that well. I like it, but it's just not one that I know terrible. Yet. So I've actually had a lot of fun kind of going back and examining and listening to alternate versions and looking up the history of it. I learned a lot from this episode. We'll get into all that in a moment. Uh, of course, since <laughs> this is uh, your first time on the show, I got to ask you: How have you become a fan, and how did you come to like picking this song that you wanted to talk about? <laughs> Okay, so uh, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, take as long, so I, take as, long yeah. as you want. No, we're fine. You can, you can edit out whatever. Uh, so I, I first got into Bob Dylan basically as I was getting into classic rock and roll. So I was, um, I was about 13 years old and I was nearing the end of middle school. And I made, I made a conscious decision that I needed better taste in music <laughs> because I needed better taste in everything because I was just a twerp. And I'm like, I'm going into high school. I got to... I got I to gotta have more going for me. And as part of that, I started listening to I, – I, I kind of embraced classic rock and roll. And this is the late 80s, so you know anything interesting I think happening in new rock and roll at the time was a little too underground for most 13-year-old kids to discover. <laughs> so I lived, uh, I lived in northern New Jersey at the time, and I got New York radio, and I started listening to WNEW which not only was New York's classic rock station for years, but was like the, I think they invented the classic rock format in the sixties. And I really got into music and I classic rock. And I started spending my bar mitzvah money on CDs, <laughs> right? Cause I got a CD player as a bar mitzvah gift and, Fantastic. and really Fantastic. like getting into like, you know, the, the, the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll. And I, I love the Beatles. And I started loving the stones. And I started loving the who, the who was my favorite. And I got into Dylan the way I got into everything else, which is just like, oh, he was playing on NEW. You know, they play like a Rolling Stone. And and I guess I want you more the, the up-tempo stuff. Though. Sure, you know, I don't think course. they play Times Are Changing and stuff. And I, I got Bob Dylan's greatest hits, but he, was, he wasn't really one of my favorites. You know, here and there I'd hear a song I liked, but he was never at the top of the list for me. And then fast forward to I'm 26 years old and I won a game show on VH1. I won a <laughs> trust me, this is relevant. I, I won a short-lived game show called Name That Video. It was only on for six months. And as part of the prize, I won a car. I won a Toyota 4Runner. Holy shit. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, I, I sold it back to the dealer, so I never got to drive the car, and which was great because I had gotten laid off from my job the week before I won the car, so that was a nice cushion. <laughs> and <laughs> I love where and, this story's going. You didn't tell me yeah, any of this. This is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging yeah. on every word here. Well, you got the best part already. And then, so the prize was the car, and this is on VH1. It was the VH1 collection of the 100 greatest albums of all time. Nice. Right? They, they had just done some countdown. It was the 100 greatest albums. So clearly, they sent an intern to the Virgin Megastore, the big record <laughs> store at the time that was in the middle of Times Square in right, New York. And he just bought the CDs off this list, threw them in a cardboard box. And I received a cardboard box in my apartment with 100 CDs. Half of them, the cases were cracked. <laughs> About 10 of them were the wrong CDs. You know, <laughs> Instead of the Saturday Night Fever movie soundtrack, it was the soundtrack to the short-lived Saturday Night Fever Broadway musical. Oh, which sure. Same thing. Yeah, no problem. Right, same so, you know, it was a really cool thing to get. I mean, I already had like 30 of those albums because I was a music geek. I mean, I won this game show. And uh, but it included, uh, I don't remember exactly, I think five Dylan albums, none of which I had. You know, at the time I had Greatest Hits. I think I had Greatest Hits Volume 2 and I had Blood on the Tracks because I like depressing music. <laughs> so this was the first time I got Free Will and Bob Dylan, uh, Another Side of Bob Dylan, Times Are Changing, Bring It All Back Home and Blonde on Blonde. I all think right. I might have gotten one of those at a different point, but I think it had all five of those. So I started listening to those and, you know, Dylan didn't move into my A-list then, but I definitely developed a deeper appreciation for him. And I, I made a mixtape of my favorite Dylan songs. I remember one day just walking through Times Square, Times Square, uh, Central Park in the middle of winter, listening to these Dylan songs. And the song out of all these albums that grabbed me most was Bob Dylan's Street. And I think uh, what strikes me most about this song is that it's a song about nostalgia and it's a song about the nostalgia you feel when you're young. You know, Dylan was 22 when he wrote this song. It's amazing. So step back, you're like, who feels nostalgia when they're 22? But I actually think I did a lot. And then at the time, 26, I was entering a new stage in my life. As I said, I, I lost my job. So I'm like, what's next for me? And I've always been very prone to nostalgia. So this song really hit me powerfully. Um, the idea of looking back to your first friends, to an earlier stage of your life, to knowing that that stage is gone. You're never getting it back. I mean, when you're 22, it's really the first time you realize, like, my childhood is gone and it's never coming back. It, I think for a lot of people, it's the first time we face the fact that we're getting older and there's no turning back the clock. So I think a lot of people are very prone to nostalgia at 22. And I was having a new bout of that at 26, and like I said, I like depressing music, and I think this has a dark and bitter tone to it. So it it grabbed me. It definitely grabbed me. And I, I said, this is my favorite Bob Dylan song. And all these years later, I, I, I maintain that opinion. So there you have it. Wow. That's a hell of a story, Noah. That is really great. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, that's. I'm so glad you didn't tell me that off air. You didn't let me discover that on the air. That's a. That's a, What a great... I mean, just being Thanks. on the game show, that's like a whole other thing. But just that's a fun way to discover it. And like a bunch of CDs just were just handed to you. And you're like, all right, <laughs> let me try these. And then you find your favorite yeah. Dylan song out of that. Like how random. Yeah, no, it was cool. It was very cool. It was a great experience. Uh, so, yeah, you know, and as I get older, I appreciate I think we all appreciate art. Most people on a deeper level as they get older is a pretentious way of saying it. <laughs> and I've appreciated Dylan more over the years but that song you know i think there are songs that are deeper lyrically 
you know, there aren't a lot of really clever metaphors or turns of phrase. Some of the things people really love about Bob Dylan. There aren't really that many in that song, but I stand by my opinion that that song just hits me on a gut level, a way none of his other songs do. And, you know, I think that's the way art should be for everyone, especially music. You know, your favorite, it's great to appreciate an artist or appreciate a song because, oh, look what he's doing, you know, musically or look what he's doing lyrically. But when you strip it all away, it's how this makes me feel. And it just stabs me in the heart, that song, and all the all the most awful, wonderful ways. Yeah, he paints a very vivid picture. And you're right, this is, you know, not, this is before he really started dipping into the sort of surrealistic turns of phrase and things like that. I mean, the song goes on, he says, with haunted hearts through the heat and cold, we never thought we would ever get old. We thought we could sit forever in fun, but our chances really was a million to one. As easy as it was to tell black from white, it was all that easy to tell wrong from right. As our choices were few and the thought never hit that the one road we traveled would ever shatter and split. And yeah, it is, it, it's remarkable to think that this is a guy, as you said, he was 22, uh, and uh, you know he's already nostalgic. I mean, not only is he nostalgic for his friends, and and we'll get into it in a moment. How many different groups of friends have claimed this is about them? Um, <laughs> yeah. there, there's a line of people willing to say, "I no, 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 he wrote this about me." Um, but yeah. but you also have to figure that this is a guy who seemed to have almost a divine inspiration in terms of being in the right place at the right time with the right skills and the right persona, and you got. Maybe he sort of knew that he was about to set out on a road untraveled uh, in not probably untraveled in in human history almost in terms of what a large cultural figure he became, but certainly untraveled among his friends. And he was and, and even though he was clearly rushing towards it, he wanted it. He came to New York from Minnesota, yeah. put on the changed his name and 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 put on the persona, became the Woody Guthrie jukebox. I mean, he chased fame as avidly and as ravenously yeah. as as any Twitter star you have nowadays. Yeah. You don't you don't get as big as Bob Dylan without playing the game. No right, matter how exactly, he really wanted want. it. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. he's also a little sad that he it that he knows it's about to happen to him. And he wants it to happen to him, but he's also a little sad that the life that he's known to this point is never going to be that way again. And that's it's a remarkable moment to capture uh, in a song. And apparently I was doing some reading on this and they talked about that he debuted this at a friend's house where they were having like a little hootenanny kind of thing. And he played a bunch of covers of old traditional folk songs and then whipped out three or four originals. And this was one of the originals. And yeah. I can only imagine seeing sitting in the room with him. At that time and hearing him play this because it's like, wow, this guy is on a rocket ship and he's headed out into the ionosphere. But here he's taking a moment to reflect back that he liked just kind of sitting around with his friends and BSing and being a regular guy. He wasn't Bob Dylan. He was Bobby Zimmerman or whatever he was. And they said that the the imagery is really quite vivid and i like i mentioned to you at the at the beginning this is not a song i'm terribly familiar with but it was fun to go back and look at it and i'm like wow how did i not appreciate this at the time when i first heard it because i really like this song it's the tune mm-hmm. is beautiful apparently it's based yeah. on an old folk song called lord franklin um but yeah. uh, but yeah, I, I i think it's loosely based on it i mean some loosely. of the lyrics he lifts some of the lyrics a little i see it but you know, it, it's a loose spacing, and I, I listened to a few versions of it. So anyway, continue. Right? No, online, on you can find um, Judy Collins covering it, 
and she's yeah. talking yeah. to Pete Seeger, and she literally talks about uh, that. That uh, Pete Seeger even mentions uh, some of uh, some of these uh, British people don't like that Bob is stealing his their tunes and reworking it. I was like, well, they they're going to have to get used to it. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but I mean, it's it's it. It's he really does paint quite a beautiful picture of of this yeah. kind of thing. And it, the the there's two more verses that wraps up with. How many a year has passed and gone? How many a gamble has been lost and won? And many a road has been taken by many a friend, and each one I'll never see again. I wish yeah, that's yeah, that's wow. Precious. Um, I wish, I wish, I wish in vain that we could simply sit in that room again. Ten thousand dollars at the drop of a hat, I'd give it all gladly if our lives could be like that. That's uh, yeah, wow. That's a that's a bunch of really vivid imagery for a a, a life that. He's purposely shunting aside. And, you know, it's funny. I, I talked about how I don't think this is lyrically as mature or complex as some of his more celebrated work. And I find that last couplet to be interesting. $10,000 of the drop of a hat. Really that line, because it's a drop of the hat is a cliche. Right. And you would expect something a little more. And even $10,000 is a bit of a cliche. It's just a number. You know, 10000 is not an imaginative number. What's a big number? $10,000, right? Mm. But I like it anyway because I feel like the passion in this song is so real. It's so believable. And that, for me, is the litmus test of any pop song of any kind. Like, believe it. You could be singing about the stupidest thing on earth. La, 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 I love him. But if I believe you, it's okay. It's acceptable. It could be a great song. So even though he, he drifts in a cliche in that line, he's so he holds that note drop of a hat so long that you just you can't help but believe like feel the nostalgia, like feel your own feelings for the friends you, you never talk to again. And those moments you're in a room and those those moments we'll never forget and that will never get back. And it's just so raw and so real. And you get why this guy was just one of a kind. I mean, it, it, every word out of his mouth just felt completely pure. It's amazing. It's really amazing. I love the intro, too, is that it's it's the whole song. I mean, of course, the title is Bob Dylan's Dream, so it's about a guy having right. a dream. But the riding on – I mean, the riding on a train going west is firmly planting this song in the sort of classic Americana, old-timey yeah. sound. And, and from what I've, I've read, Bob does that a lot. Like, he travels a lot by train and by bus. There's lots of stories in various books about – that he wrote a good chunk of John Wesley Harding on a train. And like, I can only mm -hmm. imagine like, you know, walking by and like, what the, Oh my God, that's Bob Dylan sitting there with a notepad. <laughs> like imagine that. Um, but just the, the thought of going back and thinking of his, of his friends. And it's like I said, it, it, it sets a wonderfully, the, the stage is set right in the very first verse. And then it goes yeah. on. And again, you're thinking about this, this cold room that he's in with all these people and the cold, I mean, I was looking at the different groups of people that supposedly claim that it's about them. And there's a, a bunch of friends from Hibbing who say it's about them. And then he has friends from his Greenwich Village who say, no, 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 it's about right. us. And of course, uh, Wavy Gravy says it's about him. Right. <laughs> I mean, so the, I mean, the, of course, sitting in the cold room, well, that could be Hibbing in New York because they both get pretty yeah. damn cold. So it's uh, it really works for either one of them. And of course, like a lot of Dylan songs, it doesn't really matter who he's talking about it's more about how you feel about it now you you told me just before we started that you you've lived in a lot of different places and a lot of places very yeah. far away from each other i imagine yeah. do you have sort of clumps of friends that you feel that way about that you've like I, you see and I then do. you don't see I, again i absolutely do um 
you know, and that that hits me on a lot of levels. I think as a as a child, I went to a summer camp in Connecticut and I made a lot of friends there and I still have some friends from there. But I kind of hold that up as my favorite place in the world. And sometimes when I think about it, it just makes me sad. And then, you know, the college friends we lose touch with or I moved when I was 15 years old. So I lost touch with most of my childhood friends. And then I went to high school elsewhere. and I lost touch with most of those people. And I was telling I was saying before, I'm very prone in nostalgia. So, you know, this I, I, it hits me on that level. Um, you know, I was making a list of other songs about nostalgia and it's a powerful force in pop music. I mean, even cheesier stuff like Summer of 69. Like, why do you think people like that song? It's right, about nostalgia. Right. right. Or Oh, What a Night. Or, uh, <laughs> That's literally the song um, I was thinking about. Was yeah. Oh, what a night. Ha- half of Bruce Springsteen's songs, Night Moves by Bob Seger. That's a good one. I got a little list. That's, here, that's so. another good one. By the one, way, yeah. do you know what Brian Adams' says Summer of 69 is really about? Uh, no, I do not. He says it's not about the year 1969. Okay. And you can ask what he says. It's oh, oh, uh, wow. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. His, his co-writer disagrees with him, but there's a clip of Brian Adams. I know this is off topic. There's a clip of Brian Adams on like the Today Show or something. Like some, and the woman saying, so Summer 69, you're only seven years old in Summer 69. What's up with that? And he literally says, he's like, it's not the year, it's the sex position. And the woman just like freaks out. The Today Show. <laughs> But whatever. I mean, you know, he doesn't need an excuse. He could go. Sixty-nine sounded better for the verse. Who cares? Like, right? Yeah. You Syllables. Know, seven, Syllables. Yeah. I think all this stuff really happened to me. Uh, so, yeah. So I think about that a lot. I think, and 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 that gets me. You know, the debate. Like, who is this song about? Was it about Wavy Gravy and the other freaks in Greenwich Village? Was it about the people in Hibbing? And I tend to think it's about the Hibbing people. And maybe again, like you say, it's more about how you feel because that's. You know, he's in New York. He's riding this rocket. He's in this new world. He's celebrated. Everything's happening at once. He's 22. And, you know, Dylan, I feel like I don't know Bob Dylan, and I'm sure you've read more books about about him or by him. I read his his autobiography. But, you know, you don't hear about his Minnesota roots very more and very much. And I like to imagine that this is him sparing a moment for the friends he did have when he was Bobby Zimmerman. And the life he did lead when he was 16 and he was learning guitar or whatever and sitting around in his cold, his in the cold with his friends who I mean, how many of those people did he keep in touch? with? I don't know. Do you know? Does he keep in touch with any friends from his childhood from Minnesota? Apparently, I can't a, imagine. I think a couple. There's a couple in the um, the No Direction Home documentary uh, that are where his Minnesota friends. And I mean, maybe. I would presu- I would think presumably if they're in the documentary, they must have some still connection to Bob. How else would you even find them? Uh, but but right. yeah, can you imagine that? Can you imagine knowing this guy f- from that period, knowing he was like just this regular schlub, Bobby Zimmerman, and then knowing what you know, like oh, on the other day, that's that guy I went to high school with. Yeah, the guy that met the Pope the other day. Like what? Yeah, like, you know, that's going to be mind bending. I-, I will tell you, two big celebrities were at my bar mitzvah. And I was very good friends with them and, um, you know, since lost touch. But, wow. you know, when I when, uh, so I lived in northern New Jersey, I went to high school, I went to middle school with Zach Braff, the actor. He was actually one of my best friends. And Lauren Hill, the singer, was a friend of mine. So they were both at my bar mitzvah. So I wow. told that story a lot. Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's like a Jeopardy question or something. Like, I do, guess so. Yeah. What do Zach Braff and Lauren Hill have in common? 
I know. I had a drink with Zach Braff about right before I left New York about uh, five years ago. And we had a good time. It was pretty cool. But I haven't talked to Lauren Hill since I was 13, wow. 14. Uh, yeah, yeah. A little bizarre, a little strange. I've, I've met a lot of famous people in my life. It's weird. It's just odd coincidences. Anyway, uh, but yeah, you think about that sometime and you think about the stories that they told you way back then. And the moments you had with them, and you're like, I got this little secret. You know, I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, I know something. You know, there's a girl who Bob Dylan, you know, Bob Dylan's first kiss. That girl somewhere is like 78 years old right now. <laughs> and it's telling her grandkid, I kissed Bob Dylan when he was 13 years old, you know, and he was a bad kisser. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it just goes to show these people are human beings and they have lives mm-hmm. like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the so, uh, one of the verses from the song that I find interesting sort of jumps out at me in 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 the when I think about what later on he would go on to do is the as easy it was tell as easy as it was to tell black from white it was easy to tell wrong from right our choices are few and the thought never hit that the one road we traveled would never ever shatter and split I mean he would go on in uh, it's sort of funny because in in times era changing of course which was the next album after this that album was entirely, uh, as they call them, finger-pointing songs, where it was all about drawing lines and saying, this is wrong, this is right. And then right after that, in uh, another side of Bob Dylan, or even at the end of Times Are Changing, Restless Farewell, he's putting all that aside and saying, you know what, the world is a much more complicated place. And there, it's not so easy to say, this is wrong, this is right, there's lots of different opinions. And he kind of got a lot of crap from that, from the folk crowd, uh, aside from the going electric thing, but but he was modulating his view, and here he is right at freewheeling, putting this verse in there, saying, "Oh, you know how simple it was to be nineteen and say yeah. I know how wh- what wrong and right is, and I'm so sure." And here, I mean, right at the very beginning of his career, essentially, I mean, yes, he had an album before this, which featured a couple of originals, but it was really this album that that made him Bob Dylan. And so to, right. this this verse is kind of buried in this song, and you're like, wow, he was already thinking of shifting away from that kind of you know, hard stances on things right, right at the very beginning, right at the, basically the opening of side two of this record. But don't we all go through that process at that age? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a stereotype and a cliche that teenagers know everything and we're discovering the world. So we, we, we tend to see things as black and white when we're young and most people kind of grow out of that. I mean, there's still a lot of that when you're in your early twenties, but I don't think it's crazy to think, you know, despite what he might put on record in, in times that are changing, that Bob Dylan was, you know, more thoughtful and more introspective than the typical 22 year old. But uh, and there's also the factor that he's seeing his teenage years through rose colored glasses. You know, he's forgetting the, the harder times, the more difficult times. Right. He's seeing things more simply than they really were at the time. You know, he's like, I was so naive. He's like, well, maybe maybe he did have more depths to him then. But when you're 22 and you're viewing it retrospectively and you're viewing it nostalgically, you uh, you know, it, it doesn't look it looks more simple than you remember. There's so many layers to this, but I think there's so many layers that I can certainly relate to. And I feel like almost anyone can relate to. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. Uh, the line uh, earlier up in the song where he talks about the life being simple uh, he said, we, where we longed for nothing and were quite satisfied. Yeah. And it's something that it occurs to me, uh, you know, when I'm getting, rereading the song is that I can't, and I've mentioned this on other episodes or whatever, but I, I can't imagine just how complicated his life has got to be at this point because of the fame. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he yeah. can't, yeah. I mean, he has done his best to strip away a lot of the celebrity pomp 
that's that that surrounds people of his uh i'd say similar stature um i mean like i would imagine mick jagger just can't go anywhere you just yeah. you just can't and which is yeah. why he probably only hangs out at you know really super high-end tony places with other famous people because he can't go to a regular place you know and i would think bob probably can we've heard some stories about where he you know he pedals his bike around neighborhoods i mean he's tried to he's tried to, to do that where he's kept it simple but still i mean he's not a guy that if he just decides he wants a pizza he can go down to the corner place and get one he's right. got to like right. hey, got to get a bodyguard and a this and a yeah. that and all these yeah. things and all the business ventures that are involved i mean of course yeah. he has people that do all this stuff for him but still it's it's got to be hard to be in that headspace of just being like a regular guy and writing songs and trying to relate to uh, you know, regular humanity when you're living this bizarre existence. And so, again, here he is at 22, already bemoaning, like, oh, I missed yeah. when things were simple. <laughs> it's like pretty amazing. But, but doesn't everyone feel that mm-hmm. way? I mean, when you're 22, you need to start going to work every day and you need yeah. to start paying rent and you need to start dealing with your own doctor's appointments. I mean, this is mm-hmm. stuff that very few people have to do before that age, right? And I think, obviously, he, like you said, he was strapped to a rocket more than almost anyone in humanity. But we all feel some version of that, or most of us at that age, you know, like, all right, this is being an adult. This is being on my own. This is figuring out my own life. Yeah. So it's it seems like it's it's more primal than that. Um, I was just talking about this last night. I can't imagine what it's like for people that famous. I mean, you you must live in a bubble, even if you try not to. Yeah, I just you can't walk down the street without people looking at you. It's it's insane. Yeah, I have yeah. a I have a friend. She tells a funny story. She met Ben Ben Stiller. I was about to say sorry, Ben Affleck. Okay, I know. Um, before right before he was famous, literally right before she he was famous, like Goodwill Hunting was like a month away. Okay, and she wow. Hung out okay, with, she hung out with him and and Matt Damon one night. Like wow. mutual friend, they hung out and they had a good time in New York. And she's like six months later. Ben Affleck's everywhere, and I ran into him in Union Square in New York. And he saw me, and he went, hey! And they, and they, she said, so we're standing there in Union Square talking for like half an hour. And she said, and I saw everyone who walked by, looked at him, saw him, and you saw the look on their face. Hey, it's Ben Affleck. She said, and then everyone looked at me to see who I was. Right, right. And, of course, they had no idea who she was because she wasn't famous. She's still not famous. But she really said it just made me realize that, like, not only is everyone going to stare at him, everyone's going to stare at everyone with him. Right, right. It's such a weird life. It has to be. That time I had a drink with Zach Braff five years ago, I saw that. Two people came up to him and asked him for his autograph Hmm. while I'm talking to this guy for an hour. I mean, what a weird existence that is. I I imagine so. I said I think it seems like Bob has done the best he could to kind of, again, keep himself sort of grounded and normal. And this this is a little off topic, but this is a this this whole episode we've been going off topic. If we can do summer of 69, we can talk about that. That, That's me. Um, No, hey, it's great. No, no, no. But I remembered um, the interview and I've referred to this interview a thousand times because it's one of my favorite things. The interview that Jim Dickinson did for On the Tracks where he talked about recording uh, Time Out of Mind with Bob. And he said that there were times that they would take a break from recording and they would wander out into the parking lot and just to get some fresh air. And he said him and Bob would sit on the trunk of a car and talk about Elvis records. And and Jim Dickinson would say that he would catch himself sometimes going, it's amazing that this guy can just sit and have a normal conversation. 
Like yeah. this guy is this famous and he can just sort of shoot the shit about Elvis records. And he, he yeah. was impressed by that, that Bob was able to be like not bemoaning about, oh, you know, my Learjet broke down. He was just sort of like talking about old Elvis <laughs> 45s. And he just thought that was yeah. great that Bob was able to do that. And that makes me like I, I, I've tried my best on the show to separate the man from the work, because to me, it, they are two very different things. It's it's I'm here to celebrate the work, not so much the man. Nevertheless. I love Bob as a person and I want Bob to be happy. And so that right. makes me feel good that he can just be a regular guy and that you could talk to him about old Elvis records and he would talk to you about that. Like that's, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's fascinating. My, my brief music journalism career, I did phone interviews with a lot of uh, rock stars, really, you know, tiny stuff. And the moments I really liked is when I just got them chatting with me about music, about right. stuff they listened to, stuff they liked. And they really sounded like fans. Right. And, right, you know, right. of course, Bob Dylan loves Elvis. Like, why else would he become Bob Dylan? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he was how old when Elvis broke? He was born in what? 40, 41. Yeah. So he would have been so like Elvis 13, broke, 14. He was, yeah. Yeah. Of course he loved Elvis. It would be bizarre if he didn't. And of course, a guy with that money and that cloud, he owns every Elvis record anything and probably owns one of elvis's old guitars for all we know <laughs> probably so of course this guy loves elvis it's it's great it's like i say it just goes to show they're they're human yeah uh, i have to ask you have you did you hear peter paul and mary's version of bob dylan street no i listened to i went and looked at some of the covers i listened to the judy collins as i mentioned there's one by brian ferry on the, the Chimes of Freedom yeah. International. You know, record, I, I but... read about that and I wanted to listen to it and I forgot about it. I Because I, I love his version of Hard Rain's Going to Fall. So Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I, it's not It's not. I still like the Dylan one the most. Very, very rarely do, does a cover to me exceed the uh, the Dylan original. There are some. But no, I haven't heard the Peter, Paul, and Mary one. How do you like that? Uh, you know, it's interesting because, first of all, I find it odd that it's a song called Bob Dylan's Dream. Right. So, you know, it's like, they're still like explicitly referencing Dylan in some ways. Uh, it's very Peter, Paul and Mary in that it's a lot prettier and a lot mm. less raw. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it appeals to me less. But there's an interesting flourish they have there where they go through all the lyrics. And then at the end, they repeat uh, while riding on a train going west. I fell asleep to take my rest. I dreamed a dream that made me sad concerning myself and the first few friends I had. And I really thought that was an interesting flourish, partly because another thing I note about the song is. What does it mean that he's literally dreaming? Like he's literally saying, I was asleep. And, you know, it's not like Bob Dylan's 115th dream, which sounds sort of surreal. Right, you know, yeah. you can imagine the of this. He's like, I fell asleep. And in my dream, there was a giant octopus. And right. then my fifth grade teacher, you know, um, so they're really hitting the note hard of like, this is literally the fantasies that went through his head while he was in slumber. And I wonder if you have an opinion of that. Like, what does it mean that he's not just daydreaming about nostalgia? He is literally dreaming about nostalgia with no no surrealism or no things that don't make sense or no gaps in time that are the hallmarks of dreams. I'm just curious if you have an opinion on that. So they put they put the opening verse at the end. They they re, they sang they it, it. They put it back in at the end of the song as well. Right. They restate it. That's interesting. That's a, that's I, a I like that. I liked it a lot. That's a nice touch. I, I I'll yeah. kind of want to listen to that. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, it's it. I mean, it suggests something that it's it's it, that he didn't necessarily. I mean, when you when you talk about that, you've dreamed of something. Uh, you're obviously it's on your. You're you're sort of saying I'm not. It's not on my mind. 
consciously, but obviously it's in the back of my mind and there it's, it's exposing itself uh, when I'm in an unguarded moment. Uh, I mean, there's lots of stuff that I dream about that I'm like, well, I didn't know that that was, I don't know. Is that a concern to me? I didn't, it's in my dream. I don't think it's a concern, but maybe it is because my subconscious is trying to tell me something. So that's kind of an interesting idea that you're, he's, he's, the whole thing, I mean, ostensibly could be kind of fake, you know, like maybe, like maybe (laughs) he's even saying that I didn't actually have these experiences, but I dreamed that I did. That's, that's one way you could look at it, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I hope not because yeah. man, he's quite the liar if he is. I right. mean, a lot, a, a lot of what I like about this is that it seems so real and it seems so heartfelt. I mean, this is kind of a dark song. You know, he's, 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 he's spinning out the story and then he says, we thought we could sit forever in fun, but our chances are really a million to one. Bam. Like that hits me. And then he goes in his first little harmonica interlude and it's just it's so raw and it's so powerful and it's so i like dark music i like depressing music so that's what really hits me he builds up this nice little story but he's like fuck it it's gone i'm done you know like it's never coming back and everything sucks you know (laughs) Um, a lot more poetic than that but you know what i'm saying a bit yeah uh so if he's making it up, I feel a little manipulated. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, but, but uh, you know, I mean, but if you, but if you dream of something that you never had, that I, that could be because you really want it, and you didn't. You know what I mean? I mean, I yeah. I will say I've had reactions in my life to things I didn't expect, where I was like, oh, hmm, I didn't realize I felt that way until this moment. Yeah, and you know yeah. what I mean. So it could be that as well. Now, I don't actually believe that he's making it up. I think he is. He oh, is because we heard about that he had he he ran with a lot of people. Uh, he was he was a magnetic personality. Uh, I've I've, oh. I've said that I've read that in many a book where people said that you know the minute he walked in the room, even before he was Bob Dylan, people just went boom right over to him because he was just that kind yeah. of guy. And Joan Joan Baez even said something about that too. She said he brings. This is a slightly different thing because it's more romantic. But she said that he brings out to women. She said he brings out a mothering instinct that you didn't know you had. Uh, and he just mm. he seems this kind of like scruffy waif kind of guy. And she's like, I realized I wanted to mother him and take care of him. And she's like, I didn't know that I had that in me. Uh, and yet wow. that's what she was. So he's, you know, uh, he's clearly he is not short on friends. Uh, people that love no. him through his life, whether they be the Woolberries or, you know, whatever. He's always got some sort of posse because he's just apparently, I mean, look at the, I mean, again, I've, Tony Garnier, Tony Garnier has been playing with this man for 30 years. Clearly he must be pretty interested in hanging around with Bob because I don't know if I want to work with anybody for 30 years straight. But I think most celebrities of Dylan's level who last that long have that it factor, have that star right. power. Of course. I often I often lament that I think one of the problems with media and entertainment now is we have lowered our standards for star power. Uh-huh. You know, we're making stars out of these people, actors or whatever. We're making the president. My, my, you know, one of the few things I think that guy does have is uh, some people find him magnetic, but whatever. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> uh, but the example I always give is um, I don't know why he's kind of old news now. Shia LaBeouf. I never understood why Shia LaBeouf is famous because he's not a good actor. <laughs> he's. He's, he doesn't have star power. He's not cute. 
and his name's impossible to spell. <laughs> so literally, the only reason this guy's famous is because for whatever reason, Steven Spielberg, you know, not literally, but metaphorically, has a hard on for him. That's it. We elevate these people. And by, for we need to raise our standards. And by the same token, when I run into an artist who I don't like their art, but I see their star power, I can still appreciate them. The example I give of that is Lady Gaga. I okay, find Lady sure. Gaga's music to be virtually unlistenable. But damn it, you can't look away. Right. She has it. She has that thing. So I'm glad she's famous. She deserves it. And uh, I want to see A Star is Born, but apparently she's a good actress. That doesn't surprise me. So, you know, nobody's going to nobody's gonna be Bob Dylan without having some kind of magnetic personality thing. They're just – they're not going to get the people on their side that you need on their side to be, to be strapped to that rocket. I'd be shocked if people said, I hung out with Bob Dylan. He's the most boring person I ever met. Much. Right. I would have found that shocking. Shocking. Because <laughs> it just doesn't, you don't get that famous if you're that guy. Right, right. You can't, um, you can't, uh, you can't hold a, a room full of people spellbound, right. uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you don't have that ability to, exactly. to, 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 to exactly. do that. So uh, live-wise, this song has been performed 50 times exactly. Uh, and it's a very, very strange uh, trajectory. He sang it four times live in 1963. One of them was at the town hall concert, which was recorded for a potential live album back when uh, they were expecting Bob to put out like two albums a year. Uh, and they were like, oh, Buddha, he hasn't recorded anything in three months. We better record a live album. Now he's been, it's been seven years since he's recorded all original albums. So, and then, then it lay dormant for almost 30 years and then he brought it out again in 1991, and he played it 46 more times in 1991 wow. across London, England, Germany, Austria, Italy, which is interesting. He sang it in a lot of foreign countries. And then um, he uh, then it, he ended rap- – the last performance he did was in uh, November of 1991 at Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and he's never done it since. So he got it in him in 1991. He got some wild hair to do it in 1991, mm-hmm. and he did it almost the entire year and then never again since. So, again, I'd be fascinated as to the, you know, the thought processes of that. Clearly, there was something to it that he was really digging into in 1991, and then he got it out of his system because he's never gone back to yeah. it again. I mean, I think that probably happens to a lot of musicians who have big back catalogs mm. or certainly any artist who's got a big catalog of stuff. And they're like, well, what are we going to trot out? Well, of course, I'm going to try it out the greatest hits, the songs everyone expects. But, you know, I like to imagine Dylan was just re-listening to Freewheeling or the song just popped in his head. He's like, you know what? I like that song. I should do that again. I, I, I God, what, what a comparison. But I, I karaoke a lot. <laughs> I karaoke like at my peak, I was like three or four nights a week. These days, it's more one or two. You do and I go through the same thing. Noah. Uh, I never have. I don't think I have. Have I ever done any Brian Adams? I can't think of any. Anyway, but um, uh, I, I, you know, I have my little list of songs, and I'll be looking through my list like, oh, I haven't done, you know, uh, uh, you might think by the cars in a while. So I'll sing it, and I'll have a good time, and then I'll sing it every time I karaoke for three weeks. And then I'll just kind of forget about it and we'll sing it again for a year and a half, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think when you have a big back catalog like Bob Dylan, like every musician who's been touring for 50 plus years, you know, you run into those songs. Um, I mean, I don't know. You, how many times have you seen Dylan in concert? Dozens? Or? Uh, well, I'm 23. 23. 23. Okay. So, so I'm sure you could tell me, I've only seen him once, like, 
is there a song he all, does like does he always do like a Rolling Stone? Does he always do the crowd pleasers, or does he feel no obligation to do? That? No, he definitely does. Yeah, no, I've heard, I've yeah. heard, I've heard a lot all along the Watchtower enough for my life. I will say, right. I would say, uh, but yeah, no, the, the, <laughs> he he definitely has some staples. There's no doubt about it. And I, but then yeah. he peppers it in between this. Muscle. I mean, I would love it if he sang this because I'd just be like, oh my god, he is. Right. This is so obscure. But at the yeah. same time. You know, I could imagine this. This probably uh, for 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 not the diehard fans. This would be a song that would probably send people out to go get a beer or whatever because it's yeah. it's it's slow. And I don't mean I don't mean to say it's ponderous because it's not, but it's it's meditative, and it's just probably right. not a song that really uh, you know necessarily puts uh, butts in the seats in in, in live right. in a live form. But I'd love to hear it. I mean, you can you can hear the live versions on. Um, there've been the there's the um, Brandeis University CD that's out you can you can hear there um, and the, there's one from the live 1962 to 66 rare performances from the copyright collections so you can hear those but those are the 60s ones I have never heard uh, what it, what one of the 90s ones sounds like right yeah I mean I just think like if you're that person or that band and you're on tour and you're on the road like yeah there's fan service involved but you also want to keep it interesting for yourself. Yeah. So you're going to you're going to mix it up. And and I've seen a lot of bands where they just dug up some obscure tune. And if it's like, hey, I remember the song. Wow. I never thought in a million years they do this. It's always a nice little treat uh, when you're the super fan. But you're right. A song like this, unless you're the super fan who knows it, it's not going to appeal to people who don't know it. You know, so right. it's probably not a great choice for one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, again, I would love. It. I mean, maybe it was just a random. Uh, maybe, you know what? Maybe ran into an old friend. You know what I mean? Like, who yeah. knows? Yeah. And, you know, he yeah. stopped somewhere and he ran into yeah. an old friend, and he was like, "Oh yeah, let me play this again." Or somebody from the band was like, "Hey Bob, you know this is a good song. Why don't you play this?" Like, well, right, he, he turned fifty in nineteen ninety one. You know that uh, that might have stirred be. a stirred a wave of nostalgia in him. Maybe so. Uh, to I mix to mix a metaphor. Yeah, we, we, will, um, we will never know. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. So unless you finally interview him on this show, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, well, well, this that's Bob Dylan's dream, uh, Noah. Yeah. I really appreciate you wanting to talk about this one because again, this Absolutely. is one. This is one that I didn't know all that well, and I really enjoyed kind of excavating info about it, stuff that I didn't know. And so, and I, I will admit straight up, like I don't have any minimums for this show of how long an episode should go. I kind of just like the conversation just runs how long it runs. But when it's a song that I'm not that familiar with, I'm always like, well, geez, what happens if we talk for like 13 minutes and then we're out? Like, I don't want (laughs) – to me, 13 is like a little short. But we've managed to get almost 45 minutes on Bob Dylan's dream, which is amazing. I mean, aside from your your bar mitzvah stories. um, uh, By the way (laughs) – And TV game show. Bar mitzvah and and TV game show. I have to say, you mentioned Shia LaBeouf. Steven Spielberg discovered Shia LaBeouf at a bar mitzvah. So it all, really? yeah, that's how it, that's how it happened. Yeah. He saw him, he saw well, him at a bar mitzvah. He's like, that kid's got moxie or whatever it is. So it all, <laughs> it all winds around. So, well, awesome. Noah, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a blast thank you, getting Rob. a chance to talk to you. Thank this you. was so much fun. Where can people yeah, find you on the internet? So I am all about uh, the big quiz thing. That's my company. We do corporate and private trivia events, coast to coast. Uh, I run the company. I write the material. I host some of the events. Uh, and we, uh, so, you know, you can learn about us at bigquizzing.com, hire us for your events of all kind. And we also post trivia on, uh, most of the social medias. So, you know, get fresh trivia in your inbox or your Twitter, Facebook, Instagram feeds every day. Uh, I also have my own Twitter feed at Noah Tarno. 
Uh, lately, I've been talking about The Sopranos for no particular reason. And then I have my own podcast. Uh, my buddy Bill Scurry and I do a podcast called I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. And basically, we're both uh, we're both about to turn 44. And we look at something that young people are into right now. And we try to make sense of it. Uh, so and, and sometimes we like it and sometimes we don't. And we always I didn't know that show. Exi- I knew about the quiz yeah. thing. I didn't know about that. show. I got to listen. Oh, to yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we're like, this is awesome. We love it. And sometimes we're like this. We always ask, is this a sign of the impending apocalypse? <laughs> and sometimes we're like, no, this is a corrective. Just earlier today, before I talked to you, we talked about Lizzo. You know who Lizzo is? No idea who that is. She, she's a very big rapper, R&B star right okay. now. All right. And she's, you know, she's not our thing because that's not our genre. But, uh, you know, we think she's pretty good. She's got star power, that's for sure. And she's got talent and and she, uh, she she breaks some stereotypes. So, you know, and then occasionally we'll talk about something we despise and we'll crap on it for 45 minutes. So interesting. interesting. Yeah, we have a good we have a good I mean, it's mostly just an excuse. We're, we're good buddies. It's mostly just an excuse to just talk. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we have fun with that. So it's called I Don't Get It. And uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher and whatever iTunes is going to be called pretty soon. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, very cool. I said, I'll have those links in the show notes. Of course, if you want to go back and listen to the previous episodes of this show, go to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on, uh, again, whatever Apple Podcasts might be called at some point. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, or on Stitcher. And we are always talking uh, Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Noah, thank you once again. This was a total blast. And uh, we will see everybody later. Bye. While riding on a train going west, I fell asleep for to take my rest. I dreamed a dream that made me sad concerning myself. And the first few friends I had With half-damp eyes I stared to the room Where my friends and I had spent many an afternoon Well, we together with many a storm Laughing and singing Till the early hours of the morn By the old wooden stove Our hats was hung Our words was told Our songs was sung Well, we longed for nothing and was satisfied Joking and talking About the world outside